Hey, I'm excited about what we're continuing to do in chapel this morning. Uh, last week, I started our teaching series for the spring semester. It's going to be five weeks long, so we're one week down, four weeks to go. It's called The Good Life. The Good Life. And the idea of this is really simple. I, I kind of introduced it last week and just asked this question, like, everybody wants to live a good life, right? Like, nobody goes around saying, actually, I'd like the opposite of the good life. I'd like a bad life. So that's where we started with this idea that I think it's kind of a universal human experience that we all want to live a good life, but there's this curiosity that comes in from the reality that not everybody does. Everybody wants to, but not everybody does. And you don't have to judge someone's life for that, right? Remember we talked about this? People are willing to tell you that their lives are bad. They, they volunteered that information to you readily. And so it leads me to this question that I would like you to hopefully ask as well or that you find as interesting as I do. How do you live a good life? Why doesn't everybody live one and how do you do it? Um, and that's what we're seeking to answer um, in the way of Jesus over the course of this series. Uh, this morning, we have a guest. I'm going to be preaching again in this series next week. But this morning, we have a guest. It's my friend Caleb, uh, who I've known for a bunch of years. We went to seminary together after I was in school here. Uh, we studied to be pastors together, and now we are pastors together. So Caleb and I started a church in Lyons, Kansas, just up the road. It's called King's Cross. Uh, we meet at 10 a.m. on uh, Sundays in the Lyons High School uh, cafeteria. would love to have you join us. Many of you already do. Uh, and Caleb is been in chapel about every semester uh, for the last four or five since I've been here and does a great job bringing the word to us. That's what he'll be doing this morning, uh, looking at this idea of how humility, humility is one of the virtues that we can, one of the habits of excellence that we can sort of live into, walk into uh, in the way of Jesus to lead us down towards the good life that we all actually do want to live. So let's bow our heads and bow our hearts. Father in heaven, we thank you for who you are and what you do. Um, it is for who you are and what you do that we gather to worship uh, through prayer as we are doing now, through hearing the preaching of your word and the, the sharing of your word and through singing songs of praise toward you, Lord. I pray for Caleb that you would speak through him as he comes afterward to share with us from your word. In the name of Jesus Christ, all of God's people said together, amen. Uh, it, it really is a joy getting to be here with you all. Thanks again, Paul, for letting me come. Again, my name's Caleb. Glad I get to be here. I want to start saying that stories, stories are the first language of our hearts. So even from the youngest of ages growing up, all of us are captivated and, and we're shaped by stories, something we love about them. And, and this is why Jesus, who's, who's the maker and authority over the human heart, right? When he comes and teaches, he's so often taught in stories. And it wasn't always just to bring mere encouragement to people in his stories. It was also sometimes to bring correction and to bring change and to expose certain weaknesses in our hearts. So what kind of story would Jesus tell to people who are in need of humility? Maybe who think too highly of themselves. I love that it says this in Luke chapter 18, this kind of biography of Jesus. It says, to those who were confident of their own righteousness and who looked down on other people, Jesus told this story. He said that there were, there were two men that went up to the temple in Jerusalem to pray. This is something that people would do twice a day in the morning and in the evening with the sacrifices. So two men go up to the temple to pray. And one is a Pharisee, he's a very moral person, follows all the rules, and would have been really highly respected in his community. 
And the other was a tax collector, someone who's colluding with the Romans to suppress his own people and get rich on his own, the most disrespected and lowly person in their culture. And Jesus says, both show up to pray. And the Pharisee, he, he stood by himself. I mean, his prayer is amazing. He says, oh God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I have. He's, he's pretty legit. The tax collector, however, Jesus says, his prayer, he stands off at a distance alone and he's beating his chest in this morning. And he says, just simply, oh God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Then Jesus says, this one, the tax collector, not the Pharisee, he's the one that went home justified. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, but those who humble themselves, oh God, have mercy on me, a sinner, they will be exalted. And Jesus tells amazing stories, but here the heart he's getting at is even the best of us, right? Even the most morally perfect, rigid kind of person can be undermined by their pride, by thinking too highly of themselves. So Paul, as he was mentioning earlier, you all are in the midst of a series called The Good Life. And as Paul mentioned, everybody here, we're all, we're all aiming to live the good life, right? Nobody's saying like, actually, I'm headed for the miserable bad life. That's really what I've set my heart on. No matter who we are, we want to live the good life. The catch is that so few people find it. Because so many end up instead in heartbreak and misery and disillusionment and not what they thought life would be. And this is because the key, hear me, the key to finding the good life is not getting a bunch of money, winning the lottery. It's not being famous or going big in whatever career path you might have chosen. Rather, the key is cultivating virtues. What Paul talked about is these habits of excellence. It's through cultivating virtue. And so it says, we look at the habits that shape who we are becoming. What kind of person are you turning into right now? Who are you becoming? This kind of virtue you're sowing into your life is building towards the good life or towards some other destination. And one of the most key and fundamental virtues that holds all the others up is humility. Humility. And scripture in one of the most gripping passages about the importance of humility comes from the book of Proverbs, kind of this primer on the good life, how how to live in a good way that leads to meaning and joy and goodness. So the book of Proverbs says this in chapter 26. Let me read this for us. It says, Here are these series of images that kind of builds up to this interesting turn. I love this passage. It says, sending a message by the hands of a fool is like cutting off one's feet or drinking poison. And these Proverbs, you're just meant to sit in them, to kind of chew on them, to break them down, think about them. 
like the useless legs of one who is lame, is like a proverb in the mouth of a fool. Like tying a stone in a sling is the giving of honor to a fool. I think this might. Like the thorn bush in a drunkard's hand is a proverb in the mouth of a fool. Again, like an archer who wounds at random is one who hires a fool or any passerby. You get in this rhythm about fools? What could be worse? Maybe the best one here says, as a dog returns to its vomit, so fools repeat their folly. Just again and again and again, hitting on the disaster of being a fool. But then with this sudden turn, Proverbs says, do you see a person who is wise in their own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than for them. As you're built up to this culmination of like, man, fools are the most destitute and hopeless of people, right? But no, actually, it's those who are wise in their own eyes. This is how fundamental humility is. It's grounding our life and leading us into good places. But to show this a bit more clearly this morning, I want to look at three quick thoughts. just want to tell you where I'm going so you can stay with me. I want to talk about the blindness that comes from lacking humility. I want to talk about the, the balance that we have to go through to, to walk in true humility. And then lastly, the gift, the gift that we receive in humility. So again, the blindness, the balance, and then the gift. You with me? Three quick thoughts. So first of all, the blindness, the blindness of lacking humility. Humility is deeply tied to self-awareness. So if we have a real True understanding of ourselves and our weaknesses will go a long way towards achieving humility. But if we do not have self-awareness, if we lack that, then we're going to be blind to our faults. And here's the thing. We are addicted to having a high view of ourselves. So even when we see faults in us or other people point them out, we are so quick to push that out in order to keep this more pristine version of ourselves. At least for me, like we, we, long, we long to be people that have value and meaning and that are important. So we just jettison and throw overboard anything that might contradict that view of ourselves. But we are leading ourselves into blindness and to not having a real and accurate view of who we are. And this This has disastrous consequences for our lives. I just want to paint some of this that you might notice in yourself or in friends around you. So here's some of the ways this reveals itself. One is through immaturity. If we are blind to ourselves, we will remain in immaturity. Again, as I was just sharing, we resist. (laughs) We resist seeing our own faults. And even if we know something, we, we still want to color it a little bit. We want to take off the rough edges and kind of dull the pain that's from seeing our own failures and weaknesses. But this keeps us from growing. It keeps us from maturing as we stay ignorant of our flaws. In the same way, you might notice that people get criticism or constructive feedback. And instead of taking that in eagerly, we reject it. Like, what do you know about my life? We keep that at arm's length. We get defensive because in our pride, we want to maintain a high view of ourselves. 
So you might have noticed people in your life that push away any kind of negative feedback because it hurts them. So our pride locks us into immaturity and keeps us there. Or again, this kind of blindness, it leads us into loneliness. Few things are more off-putting than hearing someone talk about themselves and boast, right? Few things are more difficult to listen to than someone stretching the truth of maybe a mediocre experience in their life and turning it into some epic scenario. And we are experts at sensing this in other people. We know when people are boasting and lifting themselves up, but we are so slow to capture this in ourselves. And it will separate you from other people. So you'll have shallower relationships as people don't trust you. They don't know if they want to be close to you because what can they really trust that you're saying about yourself if you're always boasting and putting yourself in the best light? So your relationships will be more shallow, they will be fewer, and you will have more loneliness in your life if pride holds on to you in this blindness. Or, Or again, here's another. We have burnout and busyness. Man, this gets my heart. We overfill our schedules because we think we are capable of more than we really are. So we see it on the front end, like that looks amazing, that looks amazing, that looks amazing, and I'm pretty sure I can do all of them. But when we actually get into those moments, we're burned out and we're exhausted because we thought we were more capable than we really are. Or man, this tendency in us to talk about how busy we are. You with me? You know, like I've got this going on, that going on, this and that. And we love to tell people about how full our schedules are. Because in the background of that communication is this thought somewhere along the lines of, see how important I am with all that I'm doing. But, but really, our, our full, busy schedules, they're just, they're just kindling for burnout to happen in our lives and for you to be so exhausted in your lives. So this realism, this deeper seeing of yourselves is needed for some longevity and for endurance. I got one more here, one more. Our disillusionment. And I don't know if this word quite captures it. There's something about us having these false dreams about our future that take us into wrong career paths, even as you're choosing majors and the way that you spend your time right now. Often, we are choosing based off of pretty unrealistic, false dreams of ourselves. Now, I say this, but I realize I'm kind of shooting a sacred cow in our culture because we have so many stories and movies that are along the storyline of someone being told that they don't have what it takes, they're not good enough, but then they just get into the grit, they work harder, they train even more, and then they still win and achieve that goal. You, You know what I'm talking about, like again and again. So we've been inculcated to realize that we're not supposed to tell people that their dreams might be unrealistic. You might have a false vision of your life. It feels cruel because we don't want to be that person saying to someone, you're not going to make it. But I mean, just hear me though. Like, have we not heard people talk about certain things they want to do and you just realize, like, like, I'm sorry, you don't have the voice for that, right? 
I'm, so you don't actually have that talent that deeply. And you just realize they're walking towards a cliff of disappointment. Like who's, who's loving enough to kind of maybe shatter that a little bit for them, you know? And sometimes we need that in our lives, but, but please don't get me wrong. Like there's something really good and right about ambition, setting huge goals to yourselves and chasing that down. Who knows what you can accomplish? But do that with a realistic view of yourself that maybe if that dream does not come true, you are not shattered. That your life is not built on your pride and your blindness to yourself. You know? I mean, for instance, just take this. How many people in our world are dreaming of becoming the president of the United States one day, right? Maybe hundreds, if not thousands of people are dreaming to be the president where they get to stand in the Oval Office and they're making all these critical decisions and the whole world's just in awe of their wisdom. You know, like that's their dream. I'm going to be amazing and powerful. But in your lifetime, the next 80 years-ish, we will probably have anywhere from 10 to 20 presidents. That's it. Unless things get super crazy, we're just going to have 10 to 20 presidents, okay? That, that means hundreds, not thousands of people will not realize their dream. No matter how much they speak it into the universe, right? No matter how hard they try, it's just not going to happen. Add on to this, I mean, I'm sorry. Add on to this, people are shooting to be pro athletes, movie stars, recording artists, you know? Like this vision of being famous that you just realize that is not going to happen. And I don't know, maybe you wouldn't raise your hand, but how many of you have heard this from a friend? Right? You hear people talking about a dream, and you're like, oh, yeah, good luck, <laughs> you know? But how often do we see that in ourselves? The social sciences and psychologists, they call this the self-serving bias. This just breaks my heart. I see this in me. The self-serving bias. And so there's a great uh, author, his name's Thaddeus J. Williams, and in his book, Reflect, he talks about these studies that have been done about how we have a bias towards ourselves over other people. And, and here, what these studies have revealed what we are, are so quick to see in other people, but slow to see in ourselves, our blindness. He writes, 829,000, that's a lot. 829,000 high school students were asked, how do you rate yourself compared to other students in your ability to get along with other people? Would you say that you are average, above average, or below average? Now get this, 800. And 29,000 students out of 829,000 students. That's 100%, right? 100% ranked themselves as above average. So mathematically, this means that 415,500 students believed themselves to be better than they actually were. One in four even ranked themselves in the top 1%. So, so not a single student said even average or below average, everybody thought they were above average in how they got along with other people. The self-serving blindness in our bias. All right, college faculty, we got one here too for you from Thaddeus Williams. Among college faculty, 88% rated their own performance as, as professors as above average. One in four had the humility to rate themselves as truly exceptional. 80, 88%, 88%. 
I love this. A majority of patients, while still in the hospital because of a car accident, they caused by their own bad driving, rated themselves as above average drivers. They're still in the hospital from causing an accident while driving. And they're asked, how are you compared to other people? Yep, I'm above average. That's not, I mean, even a third of people would like, that'd be daunting to me. Over half, the majority still said this. One last one. In a study of people learning about self-serving bias, right? Here for the first time. 87% were thinking of someone else whom they believed were guilty of this bias while thinking themselves quite above it themselves, right? So even for you, as I'm reading along, like, man, that reminds me of so-and-so. They do that same exact thing. So we have such a tendency towards this blindness and the self-serving bias that leads us into all sorts of terrible consequences in our lives. So how then do we actually walk in real humility? This is where I want to come to that second one, the balance, the balance of true humility. In in her book on on the good life that Paul mentioned, Karen Swallow Pryor, she points out so well again and again around these virtues that virtues can tumble into vice when taken to excess. So when stretched out on either side, you lean too far in one way with a virtue, you land into another vice. You fall too far the other way, again, you tumble into another vice. So the real key is to walk this kind of balance that you need in this virtue, not going too far one way or the other. That's the art of living a good life in these virtues, walking the balance on either side. And so this comes... As you can see in humility is is people recognize that boasting is not great. Nobody loves that. And we actually respect and honor humility more. So we kind of try to put on a front of humility, this false humility. And sometimes this can come out by people trying to make themselves sound a lot worse than they really are, you know? Like people like, I'm so terrible at this. And we deflate ourselves so that maybe those kind, wonderful friends in our lives will like reinflate our ego for us, you know? Like, I'm going to talk about how terrible I am, and then hopefully so-and-so will tell me how great I am. But it's, it's just false humility. Or sometimes we say this, and, and we don't really mean that we're not bad. We're, we're trying to talk about something really great about ourselves, but we want to couch it in like the most humble terms that we can. And this is, this is most beautifully found in humble brags, if you've seen these before. So I have a couple for us as an illustration here. Humble brags. Thank you, Adam Levine. Wow, we got mobbed at the airport. I think they thought we were Justin Bieber, right? So, so you catch how he's trying to couch this in humility, like Bieber's greater than he is, but he's still talking about being mobbed at the airport, right? Humble brags, another one. At Jimmy Kimmel, hi, I'm 16 and I'm publishing three books and an album this year. Do you have any advice on how to handle it best, right? So you see like this humility of asking for advice, but really it was just a cover to share how amazing I'm doing all of these things. One more. Nine hours in room with seven comedy writers yesterday for CBS sitcom about my life. Lots of talented, funny people in this world who never get props, right? Yeah, you probably don't get any props either, Colin Hurt, right? That's like this kind of sharing again. Here, one more. 
totally walked down the wrong escalator at the airport from the flashes of the cameras. Go me, go Jonas, right? So, so again, trying to make fun of himself, but highlighting all the photos and paparazzis that are following his life. I might have one more thing. <laughs> I am featured, like I am, double like caps, right? I am featured in people's most beautiful, what can I say? They all make mistakes but did the shoot with no makeup, and I have to say, scary, right? So you can hear again, all these people are trying to couch their performance and their greatness in humble terms, but it still sneaks out of us. They've kind of fallen off the balance into this false front of humility. We all have this. But sometimes, again, people aren't just saying this to try to sound humble, but you can also slide into this by truly having too low a view of yourself. You can fall into this place where you're constantly talking about like how terrible you are at this thing or awful. And you're just speaking and complaining about yourself and you deeply believe in your own inadequacy. You have too low a view of yourself. And in fact, this is actually upside down pride. And hear me. I mean, we typically think that pride is thinking too high of yourself, like that's this side of the spectrum. You're boasting and talking about yourself all the time. This is easily identified as pride. We think it's thinking too highly of ourselves. But actually, true pride is not just thinking too highly of yourself. True pride is being too mindful of yourself at all. It's being obsessed with yourself. So you can do that by thinking too high, or you can be overly minded and obsessed with yourself. Even if you have too low a view, you're just stuck in your inadequacy, but you're still locked in you. C.S. Lewis puts this powerfully. He says, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. Just sit in that again. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. And here's that balance that we have to find. It's not about thinking I'm amazing. It's not thinking about I'm terrible. It's actually trying to get my mind off myself at all. So the most humble person you probably know in your life is the one who's not talking about themselves. The one that's most quick to highlight and ask questions of other people and who aren't looking to draw themselves into the conversation, but keep the spotlight on other people. That's probably the most humble person you know in your life. But this balance can be incredibly difficult to walk. There's this kind of impossibility around humility because as soon as you realize you might be doing that well, like you suddenly have reason to think more highly of yourself, right? So as soon as you realize I'm being humble, you might have a reason to boast. It's almost this like difficulty. How do I remain like not thinking about myself? It reminded me of this thing called the game that Paul told me about a while ago. And have you heard of the game? It, it's, it's where if you think of the game itself at all, you've lost the game. And that is the game, right? So that's it. And the rules that people say that everyone in the world is playing the game even if they've never heard of the game. And so the whole point is to not think of the game. And if you do think of it, you've lost. And you have to announce out loud, I've lost the game, right? 
So your whole goal is to forget, but it's kind of impossible. And some rules say that the game only ends when the prime minister of England stands up and says, the game is up. Then, it, then it's over, but that's it, right? But until then, we're all playing the game and you lose as soon as you think of it. And I feel sometimes humility is a bit like that. Like as soon as I be, start to think about it, as soon as I start to examine myself, maybe I have reasons to think I've lost. Maybe I have reason to boast. And this is where we need to see humility is a gift. The gift of humility. I want to go back to Jesus' story that we started this out with. About these two men in the temple who are praying. What was the difference between those two people? Jesus said that the Pharisee, he was praying. And he thought that he was accepted and that he was worthy based on how well he lived, on the things that he had done, and on his behavior. He thought it was based on his actions. But what about the tax collector? What was his prayer based on? Why did he think that he was accepted? What was he trusting? Might not be obvious from the story, but as I mentioned, people would go up to the temple twice a day, in the morning and the evening, to pray, while there were sacrifices going on. It can be a little bit gruesome in our day, but they would be sacrificing a goat or a, a, a spotless goat or lamb twice a day as a way for there to be atonement for the wrong that people had done so that they would come in prayer and realize, God, I'm not accepted based on how legit my life is, on how well I've behaved, gone to church, done X, Y, or Z. I believe I'm accepted because of the sacrifice covering my life. And Jesus telling this story Get this, he knows he's going to be the real sacrifice. He's the one that all these other lamb and sheep, they've been pointing towards him. He's the ultimate one. So the the real reason that we can be accepted, the real reason that we can be worthy and have any confidence is not because of ourselves, but because of Jesus's work on our behalf. You got to hear me. This changes everything. Then it's not about me. And now I have no reason to boast. So hear this, the gift, the gift of humility is putting your trust in the right place. That's how we really receive this gift, by putting our trust in the right place. If we put it on ourselves, then we always have some reason to boast, and we always have some reason to look down on other people who've not achieved what we have achieved. But here's the beauty of the gospel. If I'm actually accepted and worthy, not because of myself, but because of what Jesus has done for me, it rips out the carpet for my pride. It undermines any reason I have to boast in myself. What do I have that I have not received? And so I know I'm accepted and worthy before God, all based on the work of Jesus. I have no reason to boast. It wasn't because of something I did or that I achieved, but because of what he did. And he gets all the praise and my mind stays on him. And in the same way, I have no reason to look down on other people. If I, if I was accepted by grace, if I was accepted because of God's kindness and nothing that I did, what reason do I have to look down on other people? So as they come in their worst, as they come with anything going on in their life, no matter what, I know the same way I was accepted by God, you also can be accepted by God. And this is the attitude that is supposed to dominate Christians' lives. 
but honestly, unfortunately, often does not. We get fooled into thinking God likes us because of what we do, and so we judge people. But man, if you're living out of grace, you've you got no room for judgment. you got no room for fear. Because I know what ground I stand on, and it's not the life of Caleb Barrows. I stand on the life of Jesus Christ, and he's my rock, and he's my confidence. So what do I have to fear? God's love is unshakable towards me because it was never based on me to begin with. So let me have an awful day. Let me have a huge mistake. Jesus Christ never did. And he's the one that counts for me. You hear how this changes everything? So humility is a gift. It always leads you to praise rather than to boast. So here's your route, Sterling College. Here's your route to the good life, this kind of foundation to see the kindness of God towards you in Jesus Christ and to really believe that. This ending question, what, what are you trusting? Where's your confidence in life? What are you built on? Is it you and your ability, your achievements, or is it based on something else, based on Jesus and who he is for you? Matt, would you, would you pray with me? We'll wrap up here. Lord, thank you for the power of your word. Thank you for the power of what you speak. And Lord, I know I need this truth. I need this in my life. And Lord, for these students as well, it just wouldn't be an out there message, but by your own goodness, would you bring this truth really into our hearts that it would capture our imaginations and understand I don't need to live in fear. I don't need to live in judgment. I don't need to live in blindness. I'm free to see my worst faults because I know that I can be covered by Jesus, and that makes all the difference. So would you give that kind of clarity to these students this morning, Jesus? I ask this in your good and powerful name. Amen.